HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by greatbrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's December 16th, 2014. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. And guess what? It's almost Christmas, and my good buddy Dave Broderick's in the house. How are you, sir? Good, man. How are you doing, Jimmy? It's like a, there's only a few of us, us left standing these days, you know? I know. They're disappearing. Yeah. I mean, you're up in Vermont so much. You're from Blind Tiger at Worthy Burger, Worthy Kitchen. How's it going? Uh, it's... it's uh the off-season happens in November. It gets a little slow, and now it's jamming again because everybody's coming up for skiing. We got 20 inches of snow last week, and the power was out for three days. But it's great. Well, it's always good to have you back in the city. It makes me feel that we still have our great New York City beer scene. And there's so much going on in New York State. This is a really special show. Um, you know, We've met with guys like uh, Sam Filler from Empire State Development and talked about what's going on in the New York craft beverage scene. You know, there, there's great new laws with you know, farm distilleries and, and farm cideries and, and farm breweries. And we've done so many shows with beer and, and, and some with cider. But today we're going to branch out and we're going we're gonna to have a beer and spirit show, Dave. I know. I really lucked out. <laughs> what was your comment? You said we're just going to get drunk. It's like a drunk fest. But we're not. We're responsible drinkers. But, you know, it's, it's, what we say. it's kind of the time, I think, to cross over. You know, there's some places like uh, Steve here is the manager from Owl Farm. Owl Farm's been doing uh, beer and then also the spirits that those some of those brewers make, which I find interesting. We've got Brad Jaffe, who's uh, the village voice writer, who's now calls himself the spirit and beer writer. You know, that's the new twist on it. And we've got, we've got some spirits makers here, uh, Derek from Van Brunt and uh, Nicole from Kings County and uh, Bianca from Uncouth Vermouth. So we're going to be tasting a lot of things tonight. But I think we, I think we should start first with uh, Bianca's Vermouth because that's something that Restaurant accounts without a full liquor license can 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 purchase and serve. So, um, and that's an interesting thing to talk about. You know, these Brad, you may want to weigh in on that. Say hi, Brad. How are you, buddy? How's it going, everybody? May want to weigh in on that. That you know the different licenses. But so, Bianca, tell us about why you started making um, you know vermouth as as a product and how you fell in love with that. Sure. Uh, And let's taste some too. 
if you want to pass that around. So I'm Bianca Moralia from Uncouth Vermouth. I started making vermouth a handful of years ago. Uh, I have a winemaking background, and I grew up in the New York City area and moved to Oregon to be a winemaker. And then when I moved back here, I was feeling, you know, very understandably disconnected from nature. So kind of a natural evolution of my obsession with wine and edible plants, and it combined my interest of foraging, and now it's literally running my life. So I know you're doing some great things, and we're going to kind of like just jump around from everybody today. But um, what are some places that pour your product, and how are they often served? Generally speaking, the restaurants I'm working with are pouring them by the glass uh, in, you know, two or three ounce pours. Um, some of the notable places where you can find them is Pearl and Ash, Rouge Tomate, uh, you know, restaurants and, and uh, kind of smaller boutique stores throughout the city. I mean, that's what I love is that all the specialty products are going into these top restaurants and bars. And how do you see it, Dave? I mean, you're coming back in the city and, and things are changing or... This is yeah, what's happening no, in Vermont, I mean, too. It's just so much. You know, every time I come in, it's it's uh, between the beer lists and all these other products. It's pretty overwhelming. It's hard to keep up. And uh, I always have to talk to my friends and find out, okay, what do I need to try this trip down? I come down once a month for about three days, and it's just like there's so many things to try. Well, you know, for me, this whole category, I mean, there was a, a, I read an article by Alice Firing, and, and she was writing the Times, and there was a debate about is, you know, American vermouth really vermouth? In fact, a guy from Italy today posted on Facebook, well, I'm going to come in from Piedmont and taste the real vermouth, but it, it, it's almost like there's this other category, aperitivo, that many of us know, but but it's really kind of un- underrepresented. Um, and I know, but Brad, you're, you're writing now for The Voice. What's your take on this? You know, you're doing spirits and beer. Do you ever Have you written about aperitivos and that, those kind of... Um, well, actually, out in the West Coast, I've uh, written about Via, um, which is a really good um, California uh, vermouth um, made by the Quadri family. And uh, I think that more important than where it comes from, the the true hallmark of a great vermouth is can you sip on it, you know? And we've really gotten into this way of just, you know, mixing it in martinis or other drinks, you know, makes it great for a great Negroni. But, you know, uh, this is a great sipping drink right here. And I think that that's how it was initially intended um, was to be sipped upon you as know, an aperitivo. In- initi- initially, it was actually intended as, as a medicine. And so Nikki and I were talking about this earlier, how, uh, you know, Hippocrates, for instance, like the 500 BC version of aromatized fortified wines or, you know, v- very much a, a combination of things that are medicinal. So Hippocrates, like one of the original uh, aromatized wines was a combination of red wine and cinnamon and other edible plants and uh, goat's testicles. And so, you know, I mean, we've evolved a that's lot. That's what I like I about this. And <laughs> that's, that's fortifying right yeah. now. But, but, for, but for me, I, I think that it's important for it to be delicious on its own. And people are always asking me, like, oh, is this a cocktail mixer? Is this a... And, you know, for me, it's like, no, it's not. It's not a modifier. Like, you can't just add a quarter ounce of that vermouth and expect it to do anything to your cocktail. I mean, right now, I'm the only producer on the planet not adding sweeteners, for instance. So... The only preservative in there is the brandy. So if you're adding a small amount, it becomes like a really expensive waste of opening a bottle. You know, something that's under 20% alcohol going up against something that's 50% alcohol is going to get lost unless you're treating it like a real ingredient. And initially, when vermouth was going into cocktails, it was always at least 50-50, you know, 50% vermouth. 
Yeah. And then, so what are some things that, that your vermouth can cure? I mean, are there <laughs> women's ailments or anything that, that you prescribe? Yeah, you for? know, um, I, I, uh, I use raspberry leaf in a couple of my vermouths, which is really excellent for the female hormones. Um, feverfew, which is really good for your digestion. Mugwort, of course. Um, you know, lots of digestive herbs. And the whole point of vermouth is, is to kind of wake up your metabolism and make you hungry and prepare your body to digest what it's about to experience. It is making me hungry. It's got, no. like, it's got like a similar history to the Amaro then, which yeah. started out as a medicine. Yeah, precisely. And yeah. and um, one of the most awesome books that I found recently is is this book written in the early 60s by a nutritional doctor called A History of Wine as Therapy. And it's a 4,000-year account of, you know, all of these crazy different aromatized wines and, and wines themselves and how, you know, they used to be made and... You know, so for me, it's it's almost like I unintentionally took like an early 16th century approach to to my style. And, you know, that's because I'm only using local ingredients that, you know, hopefully I can uh, forage most of myself sustainably. And then I support like one local farmer. And it's very much about what's around and what's in season rather than like what's the most exotic exotic thing I could make, you know, like before the sugar trade, before you know, there was sugar and citrus and vanilla in everything that we drink. You know, one reason we invited you on the show was that Amy Zavato said you had a hop vermouth. Yes. So, so how, how do you make that? What, what do you do with the hops to make it a hop vermouth? I actually, I make vermouth and then I'm finishing it like a beer. So uh, Cascade and Centennial hops for this particular batch. And they come from a single acre hops farm, Farm to Pint, which is in Peconic, Long Island. Um, really awesome husband and wife, tiny, tiny place. And they were harvested August 24th at about 9 o'clock at night, and I picked them up at 10 a.m. the next day. Literally the freshest it could get without overnighting them from the West Coast. Um, whole, you know, whole hops, and, uh, and used them almost immediately, but I used them at the end of production, so in a dry hop form, um, but, use, but using How long did you leave hops. them in for? Uh, I actually left them in for less than a day. Yeah. You, I mean, you don't really need... If Especially you have good fresh hops, hops yeah, like, you yeah, don't need to. You don't, and you don't want to. I think I get totally. a little vegetal after... Yeah, so that, you know, this is like a... It's a floral vermouth. There's 18 edible plants in it all together. Um, I also add some ginger gold apple chunks to kind of like bond the bitterness uh, with the high acidity of the wine, trying to make it so that it isn't such a palate shocker. Uh, for me, it's all about balance, you know. Hey, N- Nicole, so uh, Nicole Austin's here. You're... Kings County master blender and distiller, mm-hmm. but you're also the president of the New York S- Distillery Guild. Yes. Um, thanks for coming on the show. Thank like you. just people like Bianca, and we, we also have uh, Derek. Uh, tell us a little bit about your like take on the New York spirit scene and and, and the, the, the distilling scene. So I, I think we're at a really exciting point, and I'm particularly excited by some of the recent you know intersections between beer and spirits in New York State. There's been a lot of really organic collaborations that have grown out of the existence of these two businesses so close to one another, and we just threw a really exciting event that was a fundraiser for both the New York State Distillers Guild and the Brewers Association. It was the Michael Jackson uh, Beer and Whiskey Fest well, that was a great at, event. at Brooklyn yeah. Brewery. I'm I'm super excited by New York State ha- having so many uh, people that are interested in innovating. I think that's what sets New York's craft scene apart from the whole rest of the country. We focus on real innovation and on both the beer and the spirit side that people are doing something different that they're really passionate about. And I'm I'm super excited to be able to support them. That's great. And Steve's here. You're, you're the manager from Owl Farm, and one reason you're on the show is that you guys are doing an interesting program uh, with beer and spirits. 
Uh, yes. Um, my my kind of pet project is uh, beer distillates, actually. So instead of single malt scotch, if you come to the Alpha Farm, we have 10 to 15 distilled beers. Um, I brought today uh, three different ones from Aventinas, um, which is just a straight distillate, basically like a, a moonshine Aventinas, if it were, and then um, all the way to a distilled Racer 5 that was aged 29 months in French oak barrels, which tastes like a hoppy whiskey. Well, let's start tasting yeah. some. That, yeah, that's get into a... Here's the enough talk. So what, what's I mean, Brad? You know what? The, and, and Nicole, tell us the the basis of, of spirits is there has to be yeah. something well, like a all, wine or a beer. Right? All spirits are all whiskey is distilled beer. So if you're making a whiskey, you're necessarily starting with grains. So it can be any kind of grain. Um, you know, in, in America, it's very common to use corn or rye, but there's always a little bit of barley. So it's you make beer and then you distill it. But the approach, so often the approach of a whiskey producer to the beer making process is really different than most brewers. It's a much more um, simple, kind of straightforward, real real funky process. You don't often want to drink distillers' beers. Uh, I often joke that we're sort of notoriously the, the worst brewers in the city. But people now recently with the craft spirit scene getting started and with people breaking out of the molds of what's been done in the last 200 years are looking to what's to hand and branching out with with distilling beers that are being produced locally craft beers i think that it's yielding a really interesting collaboration this is a perfect example do you think that's why that i, mean, I don't want to knock scotland but mm. so, so in that oh, no, case I'll, happily anytime i know that a lot of so a lot of beers made in scotland to be distilled Mm-hmm. So is that why they don't take the beer seriously? The, the Scotch whiskey process um, actually has a much more in common than the American whiskey process with beer making. They actually lauder their their grains. So in American spirits, in American bourbon and rye whiskey tradition, you mostly ferment on the grain. And in Scotch whiskey, they don't. So their, their mash tanks look very similar to lauder tons that would be used in a brewery. So their approach... Mimics much close, more closely the beer making process, the fermentation. So yeah. bringing bringing it to American spirits is really. Wait, my apology different. to Harveston Brew Dogs and uh, Williams Brothers, who all make great <laughs> beer in Scotland. But. And and a lot of I noticed the distillers over there called themselves brewers. They do. They often use those terms, which um, is so it's so funny to me. I would never. I, I've gone over there and I've I've drank their distillers beer and I think they must be using those terms pretty loosely. <laughs> Steve, what did you pour for us the first? Ah, uh, yeah, this is the Charbet R5. So this is um, Bear Republic Racer Five. Starts with drinkable Bear Republic Racer Five. They distill it in um, alembic stills, and then it takes uh, 20 mon- 29 months in new French oak barrels. Um, so it, it's like a young whiskey, and it does it does have the hops. If we find a bottle opener, we can actually drink some Racer Five with it. And you can kind of yeah, you can see. taste it. Historically, the Germans have been doing this with beer schnapps for for many years, which we have right, right here. Perfect. Right. It's, cool. it, yeah. it's not unusual using hops in the whiskey making process. Uh, is actually not a new thing. Historically, it was very common to use hops even if you were producing whiskey because hops are a natural antibacterial. 
So there, it's a way of controlling wild yeast and controlling uh, bacteria that you don't want into your spirit. So, for example, at George Washington's distillery, which is operating, he, he used hops um, in, in his water. And we do that still today to help control some of the undesirable fermentation. So, so there's much more intersection, I think, than which people Which is why appreciate. hops came into beer production traditionally. Yeah years ago was not just the flavor and the bitterness that we've come to embrace particularly here in the United States as of late but the <laughs> preservative aspect yeah of it. it's also a natural preservative it's interesting to me when people say that hoppy beers don't last as long as other beers or they won't age well because I really don't think that it's the hops that are to blame I think that instead of the hops getting softer and less prevalent in the beer I really think it's just the malts taking over over time what do you think, Dave? I mean, that's possible. I, it, <laughs> you know, it's it just seems like those oils are pretty volatile and that they would kind of evaporate and, and sort of, you know, the hop oils would sort of disappear. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they break down. Yeah. It seems like they would. I mean, I grow them at my farm and, and uh, you know, if, you, if I don't harvest them at the, you know, right at the exact right, it, it's just not the same. Right. You know, they lose a lot of that lupulin and, yep. and uh, so they definitely change, but... I'm not a hop expert, so I don't know. But can the oils go rancid? Like, this is something that we need to just test. Like, are the oils going rancid in, in a because it's such a lighter amount of alcohol? Yeah. Like, what we perceive I, I as know. bitterness comes a lot from the isomerized alphas, and those just kind of, like, degrade I, very I easily. I also think it depends on what hops you're starting with. You know, mm-hmm. there's some hops that the acids aren't great to begin with. And but I don't think it'll become, it's an issue yeah. of becoming rancid as much as it is just the flavor profile just disintegrates a lot sooner than than, you know, a malt backbone would disappear. Right, right. But Steve, so, just, so you, we have the, yeah. the Racer X Yeah, so we have the Racer distillate. 5. And, Racer and, 5. And, and, yeah, Racer 5 distillate right here. So let's try the beer, too, next to it. This uh, is kind yeah, of fun. Yeah, pass the beer so This is what you guys are doing at Olive Farm. You this have is the beer what we do. Um, we have a, a big selection of beer distillates, and anytime a base beer ever comes on tap, uh, we'll do a high-end, <laughs> like, beer and shot combo. Uh, last week we had... Um, uh, Hitachino White Ale with distilled Hitachino White. And that always goes over great because people, you can taste the base in the final product, and it, it's uh, it's really fun. It's kind of weird. I don't know anybody who just does that on the regular. It's it's a lot of fun. I kind of like it. So what, who, who, I mean, I have to defer to Nicole because if you're mm-hmm. a master blender, you must be a master taster. But Derek, too, jump in. Can you taste the similarity between the, the beer and the distillate? Absolutely. Uh, I, unfortunately, I don't know that I'm the best person to, to address this exactly because my, my personal, and I don't mean any slight to, to this whiskey, uh, but my personal uh, preference is to, to leave the hops out of the, uh, the distillation until the end. I, I, I think what mm-hmm. Bianca's doing where you're bringing in the hops at the very end is amazing. But uh, some of these beers that are, are actually hopped before they're distilled... Um, it, I think it brings in a flavor profile that's it's not my personal pre- preference. That's also, so, Derek, you're a Van Brunt Stillhouse, right? Uh, that's right. And, and actually, um, I've been uh, working with uh, other half brewing to make a, a, a similar combo. Uh, and I actually brought that today. It, unfortunately, I was in a rush to get here, and um, this is barrel strength. So everybody <laughs> be a little bit careful. We're going to take a short break. We're going to start sipping that. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. So you like good beer. Whether you're a craft beer pro or just had your first sip of an IPA, GreatBrewers.com is your number one beer resource on the internet. 
GreatBrewers.com bridges the gap between the world's great brewers and the consumers who enjoy their products. With so much information and misinformation out there, GreatBrewers.com focuses on education and leaves no stone unturned. Take the Great Beer Test on their website and browse through an extensive product catalog. Download their mobile beer cloud app, which includes a GPS beer finder, a beer sommelier, and descriptions for over 5,000 different brews. What are you waiting for? Back up that passion for craft beer with some solid information and education. Visit GreatBrewers.com today. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. So this is our membership drive. Go to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We won't bug you like NPR and public radio, but we're the same. We're a nonprofit radio network. There's over 30 shows. Farmers, chefs, you know, so many great shows. Spirit shows and, uh, you know, Beer Sessions Radio, of course. But I want to give a quick shout-out. Our good buddies at Allagash Brewing up in Portland, Maine, did make a donation. So... There's a lot of people far and wide, uh, including GreatBrewers.com, who are big supporters of our show and of the Heritage Radio Network. So we're talking about beer and spirits, jam-packed audience. So Derek from Van Brunt Stillhouse, uh, you you made a, a spirit with Other Half Brewing. Yeah, I you know I actually wanted to, to do an experiment of taking my malt whiskey and, and laudering it because, uh, uh, as Nicole was saying, uh, there's a there's a distinction between the way that I make my malt, which is on the grain, and what scotch makers do, which is off the grain. And I just wanted to do a little experiment, so I was going to go over to Other Half and have them brew my beer. Uh, but then I thought, well, I'm working with these great brewers who are making amazing beer. Why would I dictate to them how to do their job? So uh, so they brewed up for me one of their Imperial Brown Ales, and, uh, and then I took it from them and distilled it. Uh, we didn't boil it. We didn't put any hops in. It was so, in that sense, it was a little bit like the, uh, like the brewer's beer, I mean, distiller's beer. So, Derek, when you, what were you looking for from that beer as a distiller? Uh, I was just went. With I was I was looking for their their spin on it, and uh, I wanted to, I, I needed some alcohol. It's really what I was looking for with their flavor, and uh, and they gave it to me. What are the differences that you notice? Uh, well, I I am a I'm a sort of a um, uh, when I make my malt whiskey, it's a hundred percent malted barley. I, I sort of am a purist in that sense. But uh, but one of the things I great love about other half is they're not such purists, uh, and so there's some oats in this, and there's some wheat in this. Uh, there's they're putting some grains in here that I would never have put into my malt whiskey, but uh, it definitely brings a, a new. Uh, new take on it. They're such a welcome addition to our neighborhood in Red Hook, aren't they? I yeah, I'm a huge fan. They're amazing. Brad, what, what do you think about this? I mean, you're, you're our closest thing to a spirits and beer expert. So oh yeah, you're a writer for the Village Voice, and thanks for coming on tonight. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the thing that really uh, strikes me, uh, you know, in juxtaposition against this uh, distillate that we tried before, is it's it's got more of a smoothness to it, for sure. And um, there's there's not as much of a bite. Not to knock the the R5, which is very good as well. Um, but you know, I'm getting like a little bit of like caramelized notes, and I don't know. It's just it goes down really easy, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Appreciate it, especially well, if it's cast strength. Now like, I have Nicole just right there. <laughs> so we're using certain terms and, and languages. And, and, so our, Nicole, le- our least favorite yeah, adjective. How should we talk about distillates and spirits? I you know I'm. Uh, smoothness is a word that kills me. I can't. It's so hard for me. I apologize. Jimmy just caught me. Um, he just caught my face, which I'm incredibly horrible at covering that up. But for me, um, the, the things that I, I like descriptors that are about flavors. You know, so I find I find this distillate to have these really incredible fruity notes, um, especially 
like a, a bright, like sort of tropical fruit note that's really interesting and, and special. And I think there's an element, um, I would say almost like a, like a cinnamon smell that's really nice as well. And it's, I can see the intersection of this spirit much more closely with a scotch whiskey than a lot, a lot of other beer distillates that I've tried um, in the U.S. Because I think it comes from the, the lack of hops. You know, the way that this is made parallels much more closely a scotch whiskey distillate, and so you're starting to get that character. But I'm assuming, Derek, are you using, are you using virgin casks for this? Is, is this yeah. new oak casks? Yeah, this is new yeah. oak casks. The, you know, this the is, vanilla is coming through so strongly. Yeah, the, we're, you know, we're, we're a young distillery. We, we can't afford to sit everything back and... Uh, 53 gallon casts forever so we're we're using these uh we use 10 gallon casts for almost everything we do uh i I honestly don't know exactly how old this is but i'm guessing that this is um like seven eight months old in a 10 gallon cask it's got an incredible color too like for only spending that much time in the barrel so the smaller cask yeah you know i i that's a that's always a really tricky thing um because they're, I, you I can like, go ahead and say it, Derek. Smaller casks make better whiskey. <laughs> I think. I think that, that right you know they're, that that uh, everybody loves to talk about old whiskeys. I think that young whiskeys have have one advantage over old whiskeys, which is that uh, you know the angel share, which is a term that people are familiar with, which is the evaporation from the barrel. You know, some of the things that are evaporating are actually good things. Uh, you know, the aromatics from the grain are very volatile. It's, it, and I would be willing to bet if you barrel-aged a hopped whiskey um, that had dry hopped, I'm be, getting back to our earlier conversation, I think you'd lose some of those uh, fresh hops flavors. Um, and so I, I think that young whiskeys have something going for them. That, but the, the fact that, that you get also all this... Also, they don't taste like chewing on a baseball bat, which is really <laughs> nice. Uh, That's exactly. serious stuff. Derek, in my, in my field, it's the, the drink I can't stop asking for wins. So may I have more of this yeah. distillate? And tell us again what it is exactly. Your, tell us your, your distillery and what this product is. Because I know our listeners want to come to New York yeah, and check so, you out. So, um, so this is a, uh, I guess technically it would be a malt whiskey brewed by Other Half Brewery. It's their Imperial Brown Ale, and, but without the hops and without being boiled. And then uh, I've, I distilled it. I, I uh, double distilled it in my distillery and fermented it in my distillery. And uh, when it when it comes out, we'll label it with a malt label because that's what uh, you know the American labeling laws will say that it's a malt whiskey, uh, even if it's not 100% malted barley. And um, you're probably going to have to come to either other half or, or or to my tasting room to have this because we only have a couple of barrels of this. So um, otherwise, you have to try my regular malt, which is also delicious. So where, where is your place? So we're in Red Hook, uh, not too far from Bianca, actually. Um, we're at um, the corner of Bay and Otsego. If you're in, in Red Hook on some weekend, come visit our tasting room. You so, can do some major damage in Red Hook. You can walk around <laughs> all day visiting us. So tell us, so have there been changes in the New York State, like the laws? Can we go there and drink your booze and all these things that you couldn't do a long I time ago? I think we might have to have another glass of spirit before you really get me started on the New York State <laughs> liquor laws. But we have had some incredibly exciting changes, some real shifts. New York is leading the way in terms of supporting all of their craft beverage alcohol industries. And in particular, I think some of the most dramatic changes have been on the spirit side, but mainly because we were so far behind. You know, the, Most of the laws governing spirits in New York State were written in that post-prohibition era when distillers were really thought of as gangsters and like we needed, you know, we were just barely, legal drug dealers as you far as the... You are a gangster. The, 
I hope to be a gangster. <laughs> and Bianca has a foul mouth, in case you don't know that. I prefer the term gangsta, by yeah. the way. <laughs> and, and, and Nicole's being uh, modest. She was yeah. very instrumental in getting all these changes happening, which for all the rest of the distillers are very grateful for. And one of which was uh, Cuomo just signed into law recently. That uh, what was that? Yeah, Can you the, tell it, us how it, that it affected us? The craft beverage action. The way it, I, the most exciting thing to me that it did for spirits is it allowed New York State distilleries to pour straight pours and sell straight pours in their tasting room. So now it's like five times as exciting to visit Derek's tasting room because he's pouring cocktails and whiskey. It right? used to be that you could get um, three. One quarter ounce pours, so three quarters of a of a serving, and uh, that's a little disappointing if you're out trying to actually in, enjoy the whiskey. And it's so exciting for us as spirits producers to be able to share it with people. That's you, you bring people into the place where it's like your home, and you want them to be able to buy, and you want to be able to share this. It's a, it's congenial. It's you you want to share the fruits of your labors with them. So we're just so excited to have those opportunities. Well, Brad, I, I, I need to. I like the spirits, but I also need a beer. So, Brad, you told me on the way, and you had visited oh. Yepe at Torsten. Did oh, you bring us something from Evil Twin? We did. I do need to wet my ab- wet my palate between. Just can't get too far. Going way back to old days, you know, whiskeys and beer and stuff. You know, what what was it like? You know, I mean, we all what, know. back in the eighteen hundreds. So I want to hear about your take on it. You know, or, or what you're doing in Vermont. It's 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 different. Well, it's, it's different. I, like listening to this, you know. So Vermont is a, a state liquor control. Uh, which is I'm just sorry. a nightmare. And a friend of mine started a distillery called Silo, and, and uh, he's doing well. But I mean, it's just there's so many restrictions, and uh, so it's just New York definitely is such a better place. It's very uh, much my hope even on, on craft beer, craft whatever. Model. Yeah, New York. I mean, a farm-based beverage. Economy, so we need some beer, Steve. Too, we got to pop some of the beers you brought. So oh, valuable. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hope that other states learn from New York and Columbus yeah. example. No, we've been really. I've been really happy. And I think that's why we all met because we were talking about this you know, overlap of, of spirits and beer and and what can happen. And uh, Steve, what else did you bring? Because you brought so, some really cool I, combinations. So I brought um, Bracer Five and the Charbet R Five. I brought uh, Aventinas, the classic Weizenbach, and uh, let's call it uh, Aventinas Grappa. I am so uh, excited about that. Which is very cool. And then I also brought, I I couldn't find a base beer for this one, but I also brought um, distilled Hittuccino White Ale, which is almost, it's more like a gin than a whiskey. I like the ladies of spirits, Nicole and and Bianca. They're just drinking the beer from the bottle of their can. (laughs) And we're the beer snobs. We're pouring it into glasses and stuff. And I think, obviously, a more obvious intersection between... I think if you were gentlemen, we would also have glasses. (laughs) (laughs) A more more obvious intersection between the beer and spirits world uh, obviously has been um, the uh, barrel-aged world that we live in nowadays where all these bourbon casks have gone to good use, uh, not just for scotch in Scotland, but now a lot of brewers uh, use them uh, to make some some great aged uh, beers, and uh, everybody's enjoying that. It's probably one of the most popular trends in craft beer today. This is a good time to bring up a collaboration between me and Nikki um, using Kings County five-gallon bourbon barrels to age my white Amaro in. So it's a relatively new project, you know, and and as with barrel aging, we have no idea how long it's going to take. What is a white Amaro? So uh, white Amaro is a white white wine-based Amaro. Um, So I'll be be experimenting with lots of Amari, but all local Cardoon-based will be my major bittering agent. And of course, still all local everything, including Kings County Barrels. Artichoke, just so you know. 
Yeah. Thanks, Thanks, Jimmy. Jimmy. If you've ever read kind of Marcella Hazan's cookbooks, there's you've been studying she does, again. Bianca does this to me all the time, and I'm just like nodding. Uh, of course, of course, yes. Yeah, so why wouldn't I know how they made aromatized wine in 500 BC? Obviously. <laughs> you know how you cook a cardoon? First, you have to skin it, then you have to boil it, then you fry it. Otherwise, it stabs your <laughs> fucking fingers off. It's so yeah. spiky. <laughs> but this is great agriculture. But I really love what you're doing, Bianca, because it's so cool that you're actually when I when I tasted your your products yesterday, I was like, wow, I can taste the herbs, and it does feel like it's medicinal, and I, and I feel good after I drink your products. Well, I think the main difference is I'm using whole plants, so I'm not using any pelletized plants or extracts or any additives whatsoever. Like, it's just wine and whole plants. And the brandy I'm using to fortify is single distilled grape brandy from Finger Lakes Distilling. That's nice. Steve, I want to jump, because Steve, you're, you're like the tie-in, because you're at Owl Farm. You guys are doing this beer and spirits thing. So just talk us through the, the other yeah, selections so you have. Yeah, so what we're drinking now uh, is uh, Schneider Aventinus, uh, Weizenbach, and then we have... Distilled Aventinus, which, uh, you like an Ouda V or like a Grappa. I call it Ouda Beer or like it's just like a moonshine Aventinus, and it really does retain like the cloves and the banana of the beer. The I think banana that, comes so strong. I think that uh, Bianca's yeah. right. I think we need more tasting glasses uh-huh. in here. It's the <laughs> first time it, we've had beer and spirits at the same well, time. The, so. And the Aventinus, sm- it smells like a Czech Republic beer brandy. Right, right. It's um, and this is why I have this program is uh. Is because a lot of people, you know, that they know that scotch comes from beer, right? Um, but so does vodka, so does gin. This other spirit I brought, the uh, distilled Hidachino, almost tastes like a gin. It actually says in about distilled grain alcohol with coriander. Um, and it, it's like an old Tom gin or something without the juniper. And so there's a broad range, and I think they're kind of hard to acquire. You have to work hard to acquire them all. But I like to have them all in one place and... Uh, we like to let the nerds kind of get into it and have fun. This was the Aventines was the first distilled uh, beer that I ever saw, and it was and it came in a, a pretty long time uh, ago. Other than, of course, every other whiskey that you've ever <laughs> tasted. Exactly. But in terms of yeah. beers that you would want to drink, yeah. and it's funny because we've we've heard about this for a while. There's like Hitachino, right? Ballast Point does something. Ballast Point has their own. They have their own distillery. I don't know. They're actually distilling their own their own drinkable beer. And it's I do have I do have some of the Rogue products, but mostly I have distilled drinkable beer, not just breweries who also own distilleries. Although there's many of those that are pretty good. Uh, yeah, I, I do the focus on the distilled beers because we're a beer bar. Primarily, we like to have weird beers, and I was just trying to step it up. And, and that's important, too, because I know we've talked about you know all the New York State spirits companies. Number one, it's the on-premise places like Owl Farm or, or, or other bars and restaurants that are serving your product. So how else do you guys serve spirits? Are you doing special clock? Are you doing Boilermakers? Uh, well, I mean, we have the, the beer and beer distillate shot combos. That's what we do. Whenever we have the base beer, we do the, we do the shot. And we, uh, I mean, we have Van Brunt. We do not have Kings County. I'll work on that before I leave. But you will tomorrow. Yeah. We'll probably have, uh, we'll probably have some uncouth vermouth tomorrow. I've been waiting well. for three years, Steve. <laughs> are, are all those distillates being barrel-aged? or No. I mean, okay. like the, the Aventinus is not barrel-aged. The Hittuccino White is very lightly barrel-aged. Uh, then we have kind of a range of spectrums. The Rogue Dead Guy Whiskey, which is kind of a weird one, is only like a, three months old. Um, we have Pine Barrens, which is a year old. Uh, we have Schlankerl, a distilled Schlankerl. That one's kind of crazy. Is it really smoky? Uh, yeah, well, they age, they barrel age it on top of smoked malts. 
Let me ask you this. Yeah, what, no. And then Nicole, too. Why would you make a boiler maker? Why would I pour booze into my Well, beer? you wouldn't. I, I mean, I wouldn't. I, never, I wouldn't do that. I would never together. Together. <laughs> just take <laughs> the <laughs> shot and then that's back a depth it charge. I mean, I would do it in my stomach. That's high school. Dip, that's know. high school. Am I? I'm going to be the that. only person who maybe thinks that that's actually a great idea. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go ahead and go on. Maybe your whiskey will make a bad beer better. I mean, I think my whiskey makes everything better. I'm going to tell you one of the best Boilermaker variations you can have is because I'm, I'm obsessed with smoke at this point in my life, and I would lick a chimney if I could. And um, I love, like, pouring a... Some of us could uh, set that up for you. <laughs> <laughs> I love, like, taking a, uh, like, the crazy, piteous Isla Scotch expression you can find and backing it with a Rauk beer, and it's just, like, smoke on smoke, and it's lovely. Well, diluting, well, I mean, the act of pouring a liquor into something that's low-proof, so something high-proof into something low-proof, you know, when you dilute that way, when you drop it in, there's things, that, you know, it's exothermic when the when you're breaking hydrogen bond. When you're dropping that in, you're going to get a, a really nice expression. If you drink it immediately, I think you'll pick up some, some details that you might not otherwise have gotten. And the play... They go so well together. I mean, you know, whiskey and beer—they're—they're—they're they're, they're made for each other because they—they are each other. You know, they are different expressions of each other. So why wouldn't you? That is awesome. We're going on such great. This is one of the better shows we've had in a long time. You guys are really awesome. Take a few minutes. We'll be back on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. All right. It is so exciting to have this new medium. Posting after the jump has been a huge part of me transitioning from being a blogger to somebody who has sort of real important conversations with people in real life. My show, I kind of describe it as an audio trade magazine. I learn a ton from the guests every week, whether it's it's restaurants, bars. All the hosts at Heritage all come from different perspectives. Everyone should be listening to this. If you're interested in conservation and and practical approach to renewable food sources, you know, not this big industry. Whether it's history, uh, laws, social policies of food, I think people now take food seriously, and hopefully what's on their plate will become something very special. And I feel that podcasting has a future, giving people information in a format they can really use on the go. We need your support to keep these conversations going. To donate, visit heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio Party. It's the Beer and Spirit Show. But we got if you want to be a member of heritageradionetwork.org, first of all, go there and check it out. And it's only like 60 bucks. You can have a, a lot of experiences in the course of the year. In fact, just a few months ago, Carlo Petrini, the founder of Slow Food International, was here. And members were invited to meet him. And it was an awesome day. And we recorded some special shows. So this is what you but But Brad Jaffe, our, our buddy writer, Village Voice, beer and spirits writer has suggested that he will lick a chimney because he likes smoke so much so i think jack we're going to set up a 500 dollars uh you know special if you donate 500 bucks 
Brad Jaffe will lick a your chimney. chimney. Yeah. Your, no, your oh, chimney. But, but Bianca has to prepare as, it. As long as Roberta's <laughs> He'll come to your home and lick your chimney. And maybe there's some Kings County whiskey dripped on it or something. Yeah. We'll give that a one-week well, we expiration we can, date there for that we donation. We cut apart some sort of uh, barrel and let him lick the inside of a barrel, couldn't we? That's good. At Van Brunt, still. That's pretty charcoal And in terms of the connections between the, uh, the beer and the spirits world, one thing that was very interesting to me upon a recent voyage to Scotland was how they have developed peat heads the same way that we have hop heads here in America. And you could see that uh, in, you know, uh, quantifiable measure by the fact that, you know, people care a lot about IBUs, you know, craft beer junkies, you know, like, how hoppy is my beer? Quantify it for me. In Scotland, some of these crazy peaty expressions are now putting PPM on their bottles of parts per million of the, you know, peatiness. So what's a typical... I wish they would do that in vermouth for the Fujon. <laughs> well, let's say, let's, okay, this is now a that's so, Brad, right let's say I'm, I'm going to get a smoky whiskey. Like, what what are the parameters and what are some typical scotches that might fit those? Well, you definitely want to go to Isla, obviously. Um, and there are some, you know, traditional purveyors there like Lafroig and Ardbeg. And, you know, those guys have, have always, you know, been your usual suspects for that. But um, Brooklodic, which was recently bought out a couple of years Brooklodic. ago. Brooklodic um, was bought out a couple of years ago by Remy Martin, infused them with some good capital, and they kind of like took this idea and ran with it where they're like, okay, you want PD? Well, we're going to give you PD, you know, More and they PD. launched like Octomore, for example, and Octomore is out of control, you know, that balance be damned, like they want to just make you feel like you're licking a chimney every time that you take so a taste So that's what you'll it. do. And then Steve, you just poured <laughs> us, going back to beer, the Schneider Aventinas, we're drinking that after the Aventinas That's correct. Spirits. And then, uh, every, well, Jimmy doesn't have one. Someone get now Jimmy we're on the uh, uh, yeah. Hitachino. You're behind Jimmy. We're on, we're uh, this, on. Is, this is actually Hitachino. one of my favorites. This is uh, Hitachino White, which is a fantastic. You know, I've been, I think I'm uh, waiting like four years to try the Hitachino. Uh, so where, you know, where does the color come from? Uh, all right, so they distill it once. They age it on top of orange peel and coriander. Uh, then they cut it back down with more Hitachino White, run it through the still again, and then just lightly age it. So for people who know, like uh, a white beer would have. Uh, orange peel. It has orange, orange peel, peel and coriander, coriander already. Yeah, a, a bunch of wheat. Um, and then um, I I think that this tastes like some weird old Tom Gin. Uh, not it's like really a whiskey. Good. Nicole, what do you think? Yeah, the, it's funny. Considering there's not juniper in it, the pininess, which is so classically associated with juniper, um, comes through. You know, coriander is an incredibly, also incredibly common ingredient in gin. And there's a real piney note in this spirit that it you can see it must come from the coriander and not from the juniper. It's an interesting perspective for spirits lovers as well to see where these flavors come from. Now, Jimmy, let's not neglect the evil twin beer that we've, that we've all consumed because... Well, tell uh, us your backstory. <laughs> yeah. You show up here with the evil twin beer. Did someone plant that in your yeah. bag? <laughs> no, I just came from Tours. And so, you know, a little uh, self-promotion about what we're doing at Village Voice, putting together this weekly column where we highlight a beer of the week and we connect it, you know, instead of just giving you a straightforward beer review, we're connecting it to some sort of culturally relevant event. Um, so, uh, for example, like a couple of weeks ago, you know, there was some dark things going on in, in, uh, you know, let's just say, uh, all around the country, uh, it wasn't a great time. I'm not going to go into details, but we needed to connect that with a dark ale for dark times. Uh, our friends over at Carton Brewing, uh, just released Epitome, which is a dark ale and, uh, took a toast to Augie, who's their, uh, their, you know, the, the guy behind those beers. Um, and you know. 
uh, just wanted to highlight those so kinds of things. So what about Evil Twin, the, the beer you brought today? Well, So we, what's that? <laughs> which, first of all, which It's every Friday, it? so we'll have to uh, figure out how it? we're going to connect that. But it's Molotov Light, and um, he has already brewed his Molotov cocktail. Yepe is a, a really out-there eccentric guy and uh, likes to have fun and... and, and be very playful and so this is a light beer and i'm using rabbit ears to describe it because it's an 8.5 percent imperial ipa nothing very much light about it he's using orange and mango mango puree and grapefruit i think in order to right, get would you flavor. just drink that from the can yeah go for it okay. oh, absolutely so derek okay so we're drinking the hitachino white distillate what do you think about it <laughs> uh I, I think that uh, those spices really those spices really bring a lot of interesting things to it. I, I'm a huge Hitachino fan. I think that what they're doing out there is really interesting. I'm a particular huge fan of their their cedar aged beers, and uh, this is one of the one of those beers that really uh, I think Nicole was talking about earlier. It's like the, the the coriander and the orange peel really bring something interesting to the table. So you guys, Nicole, you guys have like a, a quite a voice here. I mean, we've got some great guys like you know people like. You know, Steve at Olive Farm are working with spirits and beer. Brad also now is like he's a journalist doing spirits and beer. And Dave, you know, it's kind of like harkening back to these old days when you know you. you I used to be able to sell liquor. Yeah, I can't now at the at the New Tiger, but uh, um, yeah, it's it's incredible. It's great that it, it, it like craft beer did its thing, and now craft distilling is. But I still at this point, you know what I want. I just want I want a beer right now. And I want to drink because we did a, a little tasting yesterday with Spirits, and I was like, I want a beer. So, is there a beer here that I can drink, Steve? Yeah, yeah I, you know, beer guy. Thank, thanks to thanks to my beer rep, I, I couldn't find a uh, a Racer Five in New York City this afternoon, and uh, my beer rep met me on the corner of Third Avenue and Third Street with a six pack of Racer Five. Let's so pop it! Come on, I got lots of Racer Five. And I want to hear Nicole. Nicole, what's your take on the Hidden White Distillery? <laughs> I think it's really interesting. Um, I think it's really interesting. I hate that word interesting. That's just that's the worst. It's, it's, it's not something that right. just doesn't say looking, anything. So I was looking right at Us, us beer people really just yeah. cringe when you say interesting. I mean, that's the thing that you say when you don't know what else to say. I think yeah. the piney note is really strong. It, it's it's a, yeah, it's a Yeah, it's a study in a new style. And I, I think what I'm so excited about with so many of these things... People, I feel like what's exciting about craft spirits right this moment, it's not that every craft spirit you're going to taste is going to be immediately amazing, but it's going to open your eyes to opportunities in the spirits world and, and, and bring you to a place of appreciating something new and different. And it's the, its voice is going to come over time. You know, what does it mean to be a New York craft spirits? What does it mean to make a great, you know, a great hopped whiskey? These are new categories that have only been around for a few years. And so what what does that mean? I think what's exciting about it is that we don't know yet. And people are, are it's it's impressive to open a style. You know, you don't have to be perfect at it from the beginning. You just, you've brought something new to Isn't the Isn't that really the future, though, in terms of just like you know devolving or just disintegrating styles and just mm-hmm. everything just becoming yeah, one yeah just do whatever the fuck you want <laughs> I think that's, that's one the, way to put I think it that's, that's what I expected you know? I expect some F words from I, Bianca I, I um, is at least a third by the way from her I don't know if you we but got don't, keep, don't keep counting guys one thing okay, a couple of things quick okay stop back up the nose of the Hidachino White distillate it kind of it has a nose to it along the lines of your uncouth vermouth, so which I, I like. I think the piney. So you can taste. And I think smoke it evokes so a whip beer. To be cardamom, like if you're so for me, like most of my job is plant composition and figuring out what does what and what to add when. You know, 
Um, for instance, like for a pear ginger vermouth that I make where I use cardamom, I use cardamom leaf, and that's where you're getting that pininess. Like, I, I would not be surprised if the hirachino, uh, which is sugoi, by the way, is using cardamom leaf for that piney note. Like, I don't think that there could possibly be a cardamom pod anywhere near you know, that, that distillate, because I think that it would just overpower every other note, but I think that they've found a way to make it delicate. And I would love for them to respond back to us and tell me what the hell they're doing. That's awesome. I'm really appreciate talking to you about tasting and, and, and how you approach your, your craft. And Nicole, you just poured for us uh, one of your, because King's kind of, so we, we want to make sure everyone gets tasted on the show. Yeah. I just poured my bourbon um, and, I, of course, didn't bring my peated bourbon with me, although now I see from our conversation that that would have been really exciting for people. It's so smooth. I know. (laughs) Brad's is like, he's like, he's like licking. I swear to God. He's licking the microphone, looking for smoke. There is nothing either. There's nothing smooth about my peated bourbon. Smooth and interesting. What's the counter at? How much money have we raised for me to lick that chimney? Jack will tell us later, but there is, it's it's out there. Brad Jaffe, Village Voice Writer, will lick your PD s- chimney. I will clean your chimney. I will come to the house and clean your chimney. This uh, this bourbon is so. Hey, it's almost Christmas, dude. This this bourbon is so corny, and I don't mean that in the typical <laughs> sense. But that's one of the. We're getting back to those uh, talking about different age barrel or size barrels. This uh, bourbon has so much corn flavor, so much more corn flavor than any. Can, can I, I want to get one thing we're trying well, to we're establish using today? A ton of corn. Let's taste your moonshine because. Sure. I want to know about corn. One, we met recently, Nicole, and she said, w- "Could we establish like a New York State typical? Like, you know, Kentucky has what bourbon?" And you started to say, "What would be a typical New York State spirit?" And I think you're yeah. onto something with this moonshine, which is you call it eau de vie of corn. I, I, d- I do call it that often. Yeah, because I, I think that's how I think of it. And what makes it distinct I th- is that w- the corn that we're using, and you can taste it so strongly. It is and this is one of the things that's interesting to me. You want to talk about the connection to beer? You can taste the beer. You can taste the grain. You can taste the elements of our raw ingredient in this, and it's because our corn tastes different. I'm using an organic corn. It's grown in the Finger Lakes region, and it's in Pinyon. And I believe that the corn tastes better. I actually know that it tastes better because I have made this whiskey with, you know, commercially available just commodity corn that's been sitting around for God knows how long and has been grown in who the hell knows how anywhere. How do you have terroir if you don't know where your ingredients are coming from? And I think the more the more um, New York State invests in, in its grain and the more that grain is expressed in our spirits, we're going to come to discover what it means to make a New York State spirit. Amen, sister friend. <laughs> All right. Any final comments from our? our I was just going to say the Van Brunt fellas have done a good job of showing An incredible job. Well, in general, but also in terms of showing the history of moonshine in in New York, basically that that what well, there was more moonshine being produced here in New York than there ever was in the South. It's always traditionally associated with South and Mason Dixon, but. Literally, uh, the New York City produced more moonshine in the 19th century than the, anywhere else in the country combined. New York was the grain basket, really, for the entire East Coast for so long, which people forget. You know, we had some of the first grain elevators here. Our our beer and whiskey industry, our beer and spirits industry, were so strong. We used to have the biggest hop industry. You know, it was yeah. the biggest hop state yeah. in the country. By far the biggest hop state and the biggest vermouth state pre-prohibition. Oh. So yeah. it turns out that we're all just the natural heirs of our forebears and, and we have a stronger we're just it back. history than anybody. <laughs> and the most owls. This is the, the, the most owls. intro to a, a many other great shows. And um, 
we are going to have to wrap it up. But let's just say a few things coming up. If any, I think we've all talked a lot, but I, next week we're going to pitch our show. We have our Christmas show. It's Charlie Papazian, who's like the founder of homebrewing and craft beer and Great American Beer and Festival. And the Brewers Association. And, and want to say something about Charlie Papazian, Dave, because it's our show next Tuesday, December 23rd. It's Charlie Papazian with the panel of homebrewers, and it's really awesome. He's, he's Yeah, and he's just come out with a new book. And uh, but yeah, he is the founder of the. It was actually the Association of Brewers, and now it's the Brewers Association. But I, I, I think it's a special show because we got Charlie Papazian with some New York City home brewers, and they asked some questions. And it's but it was one of my favorite shows after tonight's show. So also, Allagash Night at the Blind Tigers coming up uh, Wednesday, December. Is it already December? It is my December, Jim. <laughs> and then Catch other up. half and Van <laughs> Brunt, is happening. Van Brunt event at other half this Sunday, right, Derek? Yeah, they're pouring some of their uh, stout, and we're going to serve up some of our uh, malt whiskeys. Isn't that crazy? Nice. And then Steve, anything going on this weekend at Owl Farm? Uh, I mean, we're going to be open on Christmas Day with tons of Christmas beers, and then uh, we'll have our annual uh, grunge New Year's Eve with the Legion Brewery. Well, shit, Eve. come to Jimmy's number forty-three on Christmas. We have our annual craft beer buffet lunch, twenty-five dollars. You get roasts and sides like an English lunch, and uh, all that stuff. And Brad? Check out Village Voice online. Every week we have our Dram of the Week, which will be on the craft spirit side of things, obviously. Peated bourbon, great stuff. Thank very you. smooth. And um, uh, on Fridays... <laughs> There's nothing smooth about it. And what about you, Nicole? On Fridays, on? on Fridays, beer in the headlights. King's we'll County, we have our tasting room open every Saturday through the holiday season, and you can come if you just want to buy. We'll do tours on Saturday, but it's open every afternoon. So, yeah, this is, this so is my holiday. There. If you're coming to New York City... Anytime in the next couple of weeks, these are the places to go to. And Bianca, do you have a tasting room too? I do have a tasting room. It's open by luck or appointment. If everyone could just leave me the fuck alone until January, that would be great. All right. Don't leave me alone. Come out and drink some cocktails from my That's the fourth F bomb for those that were counting at home. <laughs> I love this. You know, and, and the funny thing, we, we, we did bring women on the show and they had a lot to say, right, guys? All right. I'd like to thank our sponsors at greatbrewers.com. Way to pick that fight now. <laughs> We've helped to bring. This podcast to you tonight. Thanks to Bianca, Nicole, Derek, Stephen, Brad, and others for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Maggie Seiden and Justin Kennedy, and our engineer, Jack Inslee. Mac Jack Inslee, for listening. That's right. Next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.